announcements for you today. In fact, we've got a few. Uh, they're all short and sweet, but uh, we'll get into it. Uh, Hudson informed me this morning that uh, he sent out an email uh, with uh, the financial report, the latest financial report. You're going to want to take a look at that. Uh, lots of uh, very exciting and good news in the financial report. I know you're glad to hear that, but uh, spoiler alert, it's good news. Uh, also, uh, March 4th, we're having a skate park. It's not just for the children or the youth. It's for anybody who's got the courage <laughs> to, uh, to show up and, and put on a pair of skates. I don't have the courage, but I'm going to show up and walk around or something. But anyways, a skate party coming up on March 4th from 2 to 5. Uh, that's just a couple of weeks away, so uh, uh, watch your email for that. Uh, March, do uh, what? Okay, uh, let's see, March 12th. That's a few weeks away. We're going to be having a potluck after... After church on that day, so get ready for that. Lord's Supper next Sunday. Lord's Supper is next Sunday. Uh, you can see why we didn't do that on the same day as the potluck. It, it would ruin the potluck. Uh, you could be full. Uh, yeah, yeah ruin your appetite. Let's uh, uh, see, uh, midweek student activities will begin on this Friday. Uh, is, that, is it this Friday? Yeah. It is this Friday, it's March 3rd, this Friday. Uh, from 7 to 8.30, there's going to be an email coming out for the location all that. So uh, you uh, students, uh, be, be prepared. March 3rd, Friday night. Baby bottle fundraiser. Today's the last day, isn't it? We can fill on the drop top. I'm really glad to pick it up. Okay, so if you haven't brought it back yet or you want to get one and fill it up, you can do that. They'll be glad to receive it. and You can uh, drop it off here or you can take it to Dr. Phillips Clinic just up the road and receive it there. And uh, the last announcement I have is uh, um, April 2nd is... Um, good uh, Palm Sunday, yes. Who said it? All of you were thinking it's Palm Sunday. It's Palm Sunday, April 2nd, Palm Sunday. Hard to believe that's uh, right around the corner. But uh, we're going to uh, have an event like we did last year on Palm Sunday over at Dr. Phillips Clinic. Just kind of a big carnival type thing, you know, like a, a like, like fall festival, but not in the fall. It's like a spring Easter festival celebration, and uh, we'll uh, give you get more information to you about that too. Uh, well, in the meantime, let's uh, open up with a word of prayer, and uh, we'll get into worship. If you're our guest this morning, we're thrilled to have you. Uh, be sure to take a look at these two tables on each side of the room here uh, uh, when you get the opportunity, and you find more information about the church. Uh, there's a guest card there. If you would, take a moment and just fill it out, and you can drop it in the bucket, and we would be happy if you would do that, and uh, let that be your gift to us today. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful to you for this wonderful, wonderful day that you've given us. We thank you, Lord, for the change of weather that's taking place, uh, spring. Uh, is upon us and uh, just around the corner. We're very thankful for the change of season that's taking place. A reminder to us that everything happens in its right and proper time and that you've given us a wonderful, wonderfully ordered creation to live in. Lord, you designed it very specifically to support human existence. And uh, Lord, we, this is just how you take care of your people. This is just the attention and detail you give into the lives of the people you created. And uh, so, Father, as we gather this morning, uh, we pray that uh, we give our attention to the detail of giving you glory and the adoration that you deserve. Lord, may you receive our devotion this morning as a token of our love for you. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Good morning. Would you guys stand with us this morning and join with us in singing? Come, Christians, join to sing. I'll 
You know, in our Bibles, we have this book of Psalms, and, and many of them are written by David. He's a, a man who God says is after his own heart. And when we read the Psalms, we find God pulling us into David's prayer life. That song is so fitting we just had. That's David. That's his heart. God, I need you. I'm going to read something from the 25th Psalm. We're stepping into his private prayer life. And people say, well, I wonder how I should pray. Here it is. Make your ways known to me, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. I wait for you all day long. Remember, Lord, your compassion and your faithful love, for they've existed from iniquity, uh, from antiquity. <laughs> Do not remember the sins of my youth or my acts of rebellion and keeping your faithful love. Remember me because of your goodness, Lord. The Lord is good and upright. Therefore, he shows sinners the way he leads the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the Lord's ways show faithful love and truth in those who keep his covenant and decrees. Lord, for the sake of your name, forgive my iniquity. Listen to those last words, for it is immense. It is immense. Lord, we know our sin before you was immense, and you've shown us your wonderful, beautiful grace in the life and in the death of your son on our behalf. We praise you for that. We praise you as a God who hears and answers prayers. Our prayer is that we do need you. And we need only look in our midst today at all those people here and see that you are a God who is at work, who's answering prayers, who's moving among his people, who's doing tremendous things. We, with the voice of, of David from those centuries ago, we praise you as well. Guide us, instruct us, teach us to keep your commands and your decrees. And we'll thank you for all your grace in our lives. In Christ's name, amen. <laughs>
Don't you get shy on me, lift up your song Cause you've got a lion inside of those lungs Get up and praise the Lord Here come on my soul Don't you get shy on me, lift up your song Cause you've got a lion inside of those lungs Get up So I throw up my hands and praise you again and again Cause all that I have is a hallelujah Hallelujah I know it's not much but I've nothing else fit for a king Except for a y'all stand up but I'm grateful that you did and that you found that you wanted to praise the Lord along with me in that song it's a wonderful song um, you know I had I had put a, a thing in the outline of the service when I sent it out this week about doing a testimony uh, during this time and you know I, I had my three-point sermon all written out but I figure I'll leave that to Mel but, you know, the topic is on prayer today, and as, uh, as I know, he's going to present to us the ways to pray and things to pray. But you know what? Let me ask you, have you ever been in a situation where you just didn't know what to pray? Have you ever been in a place where the hurt or the pain was so great? that you couldn't even express the words to say it, what you wanted to say to God. I know most of you guys know my story. You know what happened to me. You know what brought me down here uh, four years ago or a, a few years ago. Most of you know my health situation. Um, and I got to tell you, when the doctor looks at you and he says, you have stage four cancer and we can't cure you. That, that kind of makes you go, wow. You know, and I, I got to tell you, there's been some days that God and I had some real conversations. Well, I don't really call them conversations. He listened. Because <laughs> I told him, what I thought. But the good thing is, he listened. And he kept listening. And those days when I couldn't even express to him how I felt. He was still listening. 
You know, the Bible says the Holy Spirit hears our groanings. And we don't even have to utter them because he knows what it is that we're, that we're feeling. He knows what it is that we're trying to say that maybe we don't even have the words to express, to say. And I have found that whenever I quit my whining and complaining and I get all that out of the way and I get past all that, usually the first thing I start doing is just praising God. Because... I realized he put up with me while I'm sitting there telling him the way that I think it ought to be. But then when I realize God has always been faithful and God has always been true and there has never been one time that he deserted me or that he abandoned me. He's always been good to me and when I realize that and I know God this is just part of your plan this is part of what you're working in my life just take it and use it for your glory and I just as that song said I just it's just gratitude I just start praising him because I start thinking of all the things that he has done and all man guys I I could go on for days you know in, in these darkest times and I was telling somebody the other night we were talking about it and I said it's in the deepest darkest times of our life that that is when we find out and we realize the goodness of God how good and how faithful and how loving he is to us I want to sing you a song that's been around since the 80s and uh I've always loved it, but I can tell you this, it means more to me now than it ever meant uh, back in the 80s, because I can honestly stand here and tell you this morning that my Redeemer is faithful and He's true. As I look back on this road I've traveled, See so many times he has carried me through And if there's one thing that I've learned in this life My Redeemer is faithful and true My Redeemer is faithful and true Everything he has said Every morning, His mercies are new. My Redeemer is faithful and true. My heart rejoices when I read the promise. There is a place I am preparing for. I'll see my Lord face to face. My Redeemer is faithful and true. My Redeemer is faithful and true. Everything He said He will do, and 
every morning His mercies are new Cause my Redeemer is faithful and true And in every situation He has proved His love for me When I lack the understanding He gives more grace to Everything he has said he will do And every morning his mercies are new My Redeemer is faithful and true Jesus Good morning. Uh, if you got your Bible, you want to open it up to Matthew chapter 6 uh, as we continue in the Sermon on the Mount. And, uh, you, know, I, you know, I've spoken several times about, you know, my days that I used to work at the railroad. You know, shortly after Pam and I got married, worked for the railroad for about six years and before I went to seminary and got into ministry and uh, back in the 90s, you know. And, and uh, you know, I worked out of Fort Worth, and Fort Worth's kind of a major hub. You had people coming in from different places, dropping trains, picking trains up, and you'd see these guys from other places kind of regularly. But there was one old man that used to come into the, uh, the Fort Worth. He was from Mineola, and uh, he was a very old uh, man. You know, he, he was, uh, he, I'll say he was very old. He looked older than he really was. I mean, he was in his mid-80s, but he was still working for the railroad. And it was kind of an interesting thing because everybody say that's, that that guy is the oldest working railroader in the country, and uh, which is kind of a fascinating thing. And uh, you know, and I remember one day I, I'd asked somebody why this guy was still working. He had just come in and left with a train or whatever. And uh, 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 why why hadn't this guy retired? He was well past retirement age. And uh, the story that that people told me was that uh, the reason he had not retired is because. You know, he had a wife in Mineola, and he had a wife in Fort Worth. <laughs> and uh, not only would retirement complicate family life, <laughs> but, uh, you know, how do you support two families? And, you know, and, and uh, you know whether or not that's a true story, I don't know. Uh, whether or not, you know, if it was a true story, did the one family know about it? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, what, 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 I don't know what was true. What, if, if, if the story was true, the, 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 the one thing that I know was true, if, it, if the story was true, the only other thing I knew that was true was that the guy was leading a double life. Uh, you know, he was, he was leading a double life. Uh, it, it, and you, you wonder, is it possible for a guy to literally live two separate lives like that? And that's just always the kind of thing that would run through people's heads, and that's a conversation that usually happened whenever... This man would leave out of the crew room, uh, and uh, certainly none of us has ever—I <laughs> hope not—I've never done anything like that. Um, 
but there's a sense in which we, we do all live double lives. You know, there's an extent to which this is something we all do. Uh, maybe not to the extent of having a, a family in one part of town and another family, but there, there, there's, there's, the thing is, is this, is there's, uh, there's the real me, and then there's the me that I want everybody to believe is real. Uh, there's the real me, and then there's the me that I pretend to be. And, uh, uh, you know, we're talking about hypocrisy here, and, and it's an ugly thing. God always hates hypocrisy. Uh, there are a lot of places in the Scripture where God addresses hypocrisy. He hates it in the lives of people. He especially hates it in the lives of His own people. And uh, because His own people ought to know better. And, uh, you know, as we've been studying the Sermon on the Mount, we saw in chapter 5 that Jesus, uh, He began to unmask the Pharisees for their legalism. And, uh, you know, he, He's kind of had these guys in His sights uh, uh, from the start. And uh, so he amassed their legalism in chapter 5. Uh, we get into chapter 6. He kind of shifts the focus just slightly and he goes to town on, on an hypocrisy. And uh, he, he, he talks about hypocrisy. He addresses the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and really not just the Pharisees, all of us, uh, uh, in, uh, in terms of, of spiritual devotion, in terms of uh, uh, last week we saw it in relation to giving. This week he's going to talk about it in terms of prayer. And then he's going to, you know, then we've got the Lord's Prayer that immediately follows this. And then finally he'll come back and he'll talk about fasting. And those things, giving, prayer, and fasting, those were kind of the big three in Jewish life in terms of the hypocrisy. These were the things that, uh, these were the places where the hypocrisy often happened because these were very public things. They were made to be public things. Uh, they were, should have been very private things in many regards. But they became public and they were made public for the purpose of getting the attention of people. And uh, Jesus, he's, he's got a problem with that. And so uh, he tells us in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 8, uh, he says, When you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetitions as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, He says. And uh, the scribes and the Pharisees, uh, they were the particular hypocrites He had in mind uh, when he said this, and uh, we talked about the word uh, translated there as hypocrite last week. It's hypocriti. It's really just a transliteration. It's just taken from the Greek and just kind of made in, you know, an English spelling. Uh, but in classical Greek, the word was used to refer to an actor, a stage actor. A person would go on a stage and put on a performance. Usually they wore a mask to kind of hide their real identity and make the, the pretend identity a little more convincing or what have you. But uh, by New Testament times, the word had come to be used in a negative sense, to speak of any person who pretends to be something that he isn't. All right, And, and every time Jesus uses that word hypocrite, uh, he uses it in that negative sense. And uh, uh, the problem with the way that, uh, uh, that the hypocrites prayed, it wasn't, that, it wasn't that they did it standing. Okay, The problem wasn't that they, uh, you know, posture is, is not the big thing here. Physical posture isn't the thing. You got people standing in places. I mean, in the scripture, you got people standing and praying, people sitting and praying, people kneeling and praying, people laying flat on their face praying. We got one guy in the belly of a fish crumpled up in a fish praying. Uh, so posture, physical posture isn't the real concern here. And the problem wasn't that they prayed in the synagogues. 
And that would be kind of the place you would expect people to pray. You know, the, you know, the, the synagogue, you know, the local thing, it's kind of the local church, you know, it's, it's a place of worship and prayer is, is certainly a, a, an act of worship. And so prayer was certainly to be expected in the synagogues. And it wasn't even a problem really that they prayed on the street corners. Uh, this wasn't an unusual thing. They had prescribed hours of prayer a couple times a day. And, you know, if you were out and about and it happened that the hour of prayer came while you were out and about, you stopped where you were and you prayed. And so it wasn't necessarily an unusual thing to see people during the hour of prayer standing, on, uh, standing in the streets praying. Uh, the problem that Jesus had with, with the way that the hypocrites prayed was in the fact that they prayed to be seen by men. And, uh, you know, that's the problem. Uh, you know, they were praying to be seen by men. And, uh, um, you know, standing up in a synagogue or in the street corners, that's not a problem unless your motive is to be seen by men. And if your motive is to be seen by men, then all of those things become problematic. And uh, so much more can become problematic. And, uh, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's the thing Jesus is getting at here. He's exposing the hypocrisy of the scribes and the Pharisees in these verses. Uh, and he's not doing this just to say, look how bad these guys are. You know, uh, here's the deal with the Sermon on the Mount. This isn't just about unmasking Pharisees and saying, look at these guys. Look how bad they are. You know, shame, shame. If, 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 that, if that's what we think this is, we've missed it. Uh, because the point is this, is Jesus is unmasking the Pharisees and he's doing this in such a way where he is trying to get us to take an even closer look at ourselves. And there's a sense in which we're being unmasked in, in these teachings. He's teaching us something about ourselves in this as well. And uh, really, the, you know, there's this issue, there's this sin issue that he's after uh, because, you know, the whole thing with the hypocrisy and the whole thing with the legalism is that, you know, okay, maybe I've got some sin, but at least it's not as bad as this guy's sin. And I'm a little better off. I'm very spiritual and those types of things. And uh, what Jesus is really pointing out here is that this sin thing is a very pervasive, pervasive thing. And, uh, you know... Um, you know, particularly the sins of pride and vanity. These are these are uh, all you know very uh, uh, very much reside at the core of of all sin in so many ways. And uh, you know, we define prayer as speaking to God, but but there's more to it than that. You know, it's more than just saying words to God. Uh, when we pray, it's we're expressing our faith in God. We wouldn't pray if we didn't really believe that God cared or that he listened or that he might act on our behalf if we called out to him. The scripture says that whenever we pray, he hears and he acts. Uh, so when we pray, it's an expression of faith in him and his, his promise to do that. It's an expression of dependence upon him. It's a form of worship. It's a form of adoration of, of him. And, and, and what Jesus is showing us in these verses is that sin is such a pervasive thing in our lives that it actually follows us all the way into the very presence of God when we go to worship Him. Even while we're worshiping God, there is sin right there, our sin right there with us, muddling up, making a mess of it, causing it to become things that it was never intended to be. It's not just something that afflicts us when we're far away from God. I mean, it's right there doing its thing, even when we worship God, when we're trying to give our attention to Him, and we're trying to focus ourselves on Him, and we're trying to draw nearer to Him. There it is, right there with us. And it's, it's, um, 
you know, the funny thing about sin is, is whenever it, it, it invades worship, what it's doing there when it's invading worship is it's seeking to shift our adoration from God and the worship of God is seeking to shift worship and adoration away from God and onto ourselves. So that the thing that's being worshipped is us. And that's a kind of a sinister thing, you know? But I mean, that's what uh, Jesus is pointing out here. I mean, these guys, they stand on street corners praying, you know, uh, and, and the purpose is not to connect with God, to speak to God, to express a dependence on God or a faith in God, but rather to get people to look at me. And so worship's been turned away from God. Now the attention is me. I want the attention, the, the glory that God deserves. I, I want it for myself. And this is why I say that while it's true that God hates sin, I think he most especially hates it in the hearts of his own people because we're supposed to know better, right? God's people are supposed to know better. Uh, we tend to think uh, of the things that go on in this world as, as sin at its ugliest. I mean, you know, you look at the world and, 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 and there's a lot of weird stuff going on in the world. I mean, you know, um, school shootings and, you know, the, the uh, terrorism and, and people selling candy or drugs that look like candy to kids. It's a horrible world. I mean, there's wicked stuff going on. And we look at those things and we think, well, there's, there's sin at its ugliest. You know, and those things are sin, and it is ugly. But is it really sin at its ugliest? I don't know. I mean, I think if you want to see sin at its ugliest, you know, you find yourself a religious hypocrite and watch him direct worship and adoration away from God and towards himself. And I'll tell you, I, I just, it's hard to imagine that it's, there's something uglier than a person who claims to belong to God, stealing the glory of God for himself. I think that's probably the ugliest form of sin that exists. Because there's somebody who actually ought to know better. And so Jesus isn't just exposing the sin and hypocrisy of the scribes and the Pharisees. I think he's exposing it in our lives too. And I mean, think about it. He, he said, hey, don't be like them. Why do you think he said don't be like them? Well, he had to say don't be like them because he knows that our tendency is to be like them. <laughs> Without some instruction not to be like them, we're going to be like them. And so, I mean, this is something that's, that's, that resides in our heart. We've got to be careful looking down our noses at the scribes and the Pharisees for being hypocrites because we've got the same stuff going on right here, you know. And, and so how do you avoid this hypocrisy in prayer? Well, Jesus says in verse 6, he says this. He says, you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in heaven. Or who's a secret, rather. And, uh, you know, the couple of words there, first of all, that word you, you go in your, it's repeated, it, it's singular. It's been plural, but now it's singular. In other words, it's emphasizing this is a private thing. And uh, he says, when you pray, it's not if, it's when. There's the, there's the assumption you're praying, right? You're going to pray. This is what God's people do. This is the this, this is heart and soul of relationship. Uh, you know, you pray. Uh, uh, so when you do this, you go into your inner room, you close your door, and you pray to your Father who's in secret. And that inner room, you know, you, 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 know you, hear, you hear sermons on this this passage, and, you know, it's, it's like a closet in the house somewhere. Uh, you know, in that, the inner room, they had this little, is a room, no windows. There was a door, obviously, uh, but uh, no windows or anything. It was kind of a storage place. Uh, you know, you kept valuables or what have you. It was just kind of, you know, um, you know people just didn't go in there and, and you know, and, and uh, hang out. And so we talked about going in the inner room of your house. You know, the assumption is that's a private place. 
And again, you don't go into the inner room and you find a bunch of people just hanging out in there. Oh, sorry, didn't mean, you know, it's, it's a private place. So you go in there and you close the door. And, uh, you know, if you want a private place to pray, the, you know, the inner room, that's just about as private as it gets. And uh, the, the contrast here is that when the, where the hypocrites, you know, they, they didn't go to a very private place, place and pray. You don't get a lot of glory from men doing that. Uh, you got to go out street corners. You got to go to synagogues. You got to be where people are gathered. And uh, you stand up, you make yourself noticed. And so Jesus is saying, you got to do the exact opposite here. All right? We got to be careful because, you know, he's not condemning public prayer here. He's not doing that. What he's condemning is the hypocrisy of, 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 that, that can happen in public prayer. And, I mean, you got public prayer going on all over the place in the Scripture. I mean, Jesus prayed in public situations at times. The apostles did. I mean, you got a prayer meeting at a church in the book of Acts. Certainly there's more than one person involved in the prayer meeting. Uh, so, I mean, you know, this, this, it's not a condemnation of public prayer. It's a, it's a condemning of hypocrisy in prayer. Prayer for the purpose of being seen and impressing people. And in order to prevent that, he says, you've got to find the most secluded place you can find and do your prayer there. And this, this takes a, a bit of honesty, right? I mean, you, you know, if, if there's hypocrisy going on, you, you know, he, he's already showing us, look, you got this going on. This is a real trap. And the heart of hypocrisy, I mean, it's deception, you know, it's deceiving, it's, you know, that's the whole purpose of, you know, you're trying to deceive people, you're presenting yourself as something you are to deceive them, to get them to give you some glory or accolade that you believe you're deserving of. But you know what? I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, there's a self-deception going on there too. So, you know, you kind of, there's got to be an honesty here. Um, where you can recognize this is something that, that I'm likely to struggle with. Uh, and I've, I've got to, rather than pray in public, I've got to, I've got to find some place quiet to do this and um, someplace alone to do this. And, you know, there, there's a sense in which that, that, that quiet place, that inner room, it, it can be with you anywhere you are really, right? You know, I mean, it, it's possible to pray in a very crowded place and no one ever know you're praying. You know, you don't have to fold your hands and close your eyes and bow your head and move your lips and all that. You don't have to do all that. I mean, you can pray and no one ever really know what you're doing. And, uh, you know, and you know, there are times when we do pray in public places. You know, you think about you go to a restaurant. You know, a lot of folks, they give thanks for their food before they eat. And uh, you see people do that all the time. Um, do some of them do it to be seen by men? I'm sure they do. You know, I have to admit, there are times when I've done that. I do it to be seen by, I've done it to be seen by men. I mean, it's a convicting thing. Uh, you know, but here's the thing. Someone bows their head in public to pray for a meal. You don't know what's going on. I mean, you know, maybe the, maybe it's just, a, this is just their habit. This is what they do. I mean, this is what they always do. They pray before a meal. Uh, you know, I mean, Daniel, he got into trouble for praying to God. What did he do? He kept praying to God. He kept going through his normal routine. He did the things the way he always did them. He didn't change anything up. He kept doing what he always did. And, uh, you know, that's what a lot of people do. They're going to pray and ask God to bless their meal wherever they are. But, I mean, I'll tell you what, uh, if, if, if praying over, even over a meal in a restaurant is something that I'm doing to, to get the attention of other people, maybe I need to pray for my meal before I leave the house. <laughs> you know, the, the blessing will carry over. It, it, it'll stick. It'll work that way. It's, it's kind of like, you know... Anyway, that's, I don't want to go there. Uh, you don't have to do this in a way that, that gets attention. Um, you, you don't have to. Um, this is all about motive and, and sincerity of devotion. 
Jesus says when you pray with, a, with, with proper motive and, and with real sincerity, your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And, you know, we talked a little bit about reward last week, and Jesus brings it up here. He brings it up again when he talks about fasting. And I want to kind of expand on a little bit of what I said last week about this matter of reward because this is important. And uh, the reward he's talking about here isn't necessarily getting the answer to, the, to your prayer that you're looking for. Um, I mean, if you practice prayer in a biblical way, you'll see answered prayers often enough. Uh, but that, that's not the reward he's got in mind here. Um, he doesn't say what the reward is. Uh, he doesn't say what the reward was in verse 4 when he's talked about, you know, giving. Uh, with, you know, giving in such a way that your left hand doesn't know what your right hand's doing. You're going to get, a, you know, God will reward that. Uh, he doesn't say what the reward will be when it comes to fasting, but he mentions reward there too. And, uh, you know, and a lot of folks, they have this idea that we shouldn't do these things for the sake of getting a reward. They say, you know what, if you're going to pray, you ought to pray because it's right to pray. If you're going to give, you ought to pray because it's right to give. And if you're going to do right things, you ought to do it just for the fact that it's right. You shouldn't be doing this you know, with the idea that you're going to get something from God for doing these right things. Uh, well, Jesus says God rewards these things. And um, I'll tell you, uh, you, know, you hear people say we ought to just do what's right because it's right. And, you know, that sounds kind of noble at first, but I think if you kind of look a little closer at it, you realize there's something wrong with it. Um, God doesn't want us to do what's right just because it's right. He wants us to do what's right because we love him. I mean, the greatest commandment in Scripture, we, we talk about this all the time, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. The greatest command is to love Him. The greatest command isn't do right. The greatest command is love the Lord your God. And when you love the Lord your God the way that you ought to love the Lord your God, you're going to do right as an expression of your love towards Him. All right? And so that's kind of the thing that's going on here. Um, uh, he wants us to do right because we love Him. And when He gives a reward... Whenever we do things right because we love him and we do it with the proper motive and a sincere motive and he rewards us, that's his expression of love and gratitude back to us for what we did. So this business of receiving rewards, look, the, the big thing isn't the reward. The big thing is what the reward means. The big thing is the fact that this reward means that I did something that brought a smile to his face. And that just makes me want to do it again and again and again. I mean, you know, suppose your wife or your, your, your spouse, you know, they give you a gift. Better yet, suppose you're giving the gift. Think of it, put yourself on the other, you're giving the gift. Suppose you give your spouse a gift and, and she says, thank you so much. This makes me so happy. And you said, uh, I'm just doing my job. Yeah. Yeah, you see where this is going? You see how that can make a person feel? You just gave me a gift, and I want to believe that you gave me this because you love me, but now you're telling me you gave it to me just because you're doing your job? Hmm. I'm just doing the right thing because it's right. Look, that's... that's uh, uh, <laughs> when you reduce the 
giving of a gift to just doing the right thing, you destroy so much. You destroy the joy that comes from receiving the gift. Boy, I'll tell you what, you know, I, I would think that if I gave a gift to somebody and, and, and uh, uh, you know, and it, it was just for that motive, they may not want the gift from me after that, you know. Um, you know, oh, you're just doing your job, uh, you know. I mean, you think about it. You, you do, how does that make the person feel? I mean, uh, when you do gift giving to just 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 doing the right thing, you destroy the joy. It, it's just now. It's just it's just it's it's just your job. Being righteous. That's not just our job. I mean, this is part of the relationship with God. Going, you know, again, giving the greatest commandment is to love God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength. I'm kind of inclined to believe that it's the same thing with rendering obedience to Him. He's going to find greater joy in knowing that we do this because we love Him. And, uh, and, and it, it, I think he would rather that. Um, and so the whole point of, of receiving a reward from God is that, it, that it's a statement from him that he was well pleased with whatever it was you did. It's not the reward itself that we're aiming for when we avoid hypocrisy and giving and praying or whatever. And uh, it's not a reward that we're aiming for whenever we're doing right in a difficult situation, whenever the wrong thing is so much easier to do. At least it's not supposed to be. It, it's, 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 uh, it's, not, it's not the reward itself that we're aiming for. Uh, the thing we're aiming for is to be found pleasing to God. And when he gives us a reward, it's because we succeeded. And so I'm telling you, whatever your attitude towards rewards are, when you get to heaven and the Lord starts handing out rewards, you're going to want one. And he starts bringing rewards to you. You're going to take every reward he offers you. Why? Not because they're valuable on the market. But because this says, well done, good and faithful servant. This says, I appreciate what you did. I noticed the sincerity and I love it. It means this much to me. I'm going to give you a reward. So yeah, you ought to want rewards from God. Because those rewards say that you've been pleasing and you, wanna, you ought to want to be pleasing to them. And so, uh, you know, you've got this, don't be like the Pharisees, don't be like the hypocrites, Jesus says when you pray. Then he goes on and he says, don't use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. Don't do that either. You know, that was kind of a pervasive thing, you know, and, and uh, 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 Gentiles are non-Jewish people, obviously, and, and they had religions of their own and, and they had their ways of Worshiping and praying, and they were pretty bizarre. Uh, but some of those things kind of cross over, or what have you. And, and typically, their prayers were were more like incantations, repeated over and over and over again in a mechanical, mindless fashion. I mean, they they really believed that that more words made more powerful prayers, and so they would just repeat the same things over and over and over again. And uh, you know. Uh, uh, Jesus, you know, again, he wasn't condemning public prayer. He's not condemning long prayers or repetition in prayer. In fact, he teaches that there are times you need to repeat things. You know, ask, seek, and knock. I mean, you're going to get to that. And, you know, there's, there's, there's repetition implied in these things. Uh, I mean, you know, you got John 17, the, the, that prayer that Jesus prayed, uh, that entire chapter is just a lengthy prayer. And he, you know, several times he prays for our unity. He doesn't just mention it once and move on from the topic. He prays several times for our unity. 
repetition isn't necessarily wrong, but meaningless repetition, there's a problem with it. The Greek word translated there is meaningless repetition means it has to do with babbling mindlessly. Repeat the same words over and over again without even thinking about what you're saying. You know, when I was a senior in high school, um, in my English class, uh, the teacher had us memorize this big chunk of the, of the prologue to the Canterbury Tales. Anybody else had to do that? Yeah. Oh, I see lots of hands and big eyes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and you, you remember that was written in Middle English, right? It wasn't just regular English. I mean, if it had been written in Spanish, it would have been a lot easier for me, I think. But it was Middle English, and, and you read it, and it, it doesn't sound like anything in English. And it, it's, uh, we had to memorize this. And then came the day when she, you know, she took like three days and made everybody come up in front of the class and recite it. Oh, my goodness. You know, and here's the good thing. I mean, if you never bothered to memorize it, if you were last on the list, by the time everybody else got done, you had to memorize just from listening to them. And, and it was all, it was literally meaningless repetition. I mean, you're sitting there, you're thinking there's no value in this. And I mean, bored out of your skull and you're ready to fall asleep. There's no value in this. Well, there, there are prayers that contain the same kind of value <laughs> because it's just meaningless, mindless repetition. And the Gentiles used lots of that in their prayers and their pagan worship ceremonies. And, and they probably weren't praying in Middle English, <laughs> but their words were meaningless. But we're not guilty of that, though, right? Christians? Nah, we're not guilty of that. Does anyone find it interesting, maybe even ironic, that on the hills of this teaching about meaningless repetition, we've got the Lord's Prayer? The most meaningless, meaninglessly rep repeated prayer in the history of meaningless, I mean, I'm getting tongue tied, meaninglessly rep repeated prayers. I mean, it's, it's, it's at the top of the list. No prayer has been as abused as this one. I mean, we recited at weddings, we recited at funerals, we recited at, at baptisms and, and the Lord's, we, everywhere. I mean, the people were reciting this thing. But I don't, I think that whenever it's, it's recited, a lot of times, whenever it's recited, Honestly, when it's recited, how much attention are you really giving to the words, the things that you're saying? I mean, we could say it in our sleep. In fact, we got, a, we got another one for that. Now I lay me down to sleep. Right? We pray over our meal. God is great. God is good. This is how we teach our kids. I mean, there's some lessons to be learned in those things, but we've got to kind of graduate from that. I mean, this, these things can just become motions that we go through. And, and that's what happens when all of this is just relegated to duty. They just become motions that we go through. It all becomes rather meaningless whenever sincerity of heart and devotion are removed from it. And it's just turned into something for show or just a motion you got to go through or just a box you got to check off. The, the, the value is, is, of it is, is just, just, just what well, becomes devoid of value. And I mean, you think about the conversations you have with people in life. You don't use meaningless repetition there, do you? I mean, speak, we speak to each other in rhymes or formulated paragraphs. I know we don't do that. I mean, think about it like this. If, if you got home from church today and, and you, you walked into your living room and there was Jesus sitting there, and he says, hey, let's talk. What are you going to say to him? Well, Lord, we're about to have lunch, so let me just tell you this. God is good. God is great. Let me thank you for our food. 
Amen. I mean, no, you wouldn't do that, right? You wouldn't do that. That's absurd. I mean, uh, that's, that's not how we would normally talk to him if, if we could see him face to face. I mean, I, I think that, that if we saw him face to face, our it's not going to. It's going to look a lot different to what our normal prayers would look like, and that's kind of a convicting thing because I mean, there's this tendency whenever I pray, whether it's in public or private or whatever, to kind of uh, revert to to habitual ways of doing it. We got to be very, very careful with that. Uh, so don't pray like the hypocrites and the Gentiles. Jesus says, uh, "For their father, for your father knows what you need before you even ask him." And uh, this this raises, you know, just one of those. Questions that, that comes up about prayer, you know, it, you know, if, if God already knows what you need before you ask Him, then why should we bother praying at all to begin with? I mean, if He already knows, why bother asking? And uh, you could answer that question with another one. Really, um, if you don't ask, then why should He bother giving you what He knows you need? I mean, He knows you need it, but you're not going to bother asking why should He give it? I mean, James says, you know, He kind of points that out Himself in James four two. You, you do not have because you do not ask. <laughs> You know, if you ask, you might have. I mean, you know, you ask, that doesn't guarantee that you're going to have, but it's, uh, you're definitely not going to have anything if you don't ask. Um, God loves to answer prayers. And he's ordained it in such a way that this is just the, 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 uh, the, the exchange that comes in relationship with him. And he knows that whenever he answers your prayers, it, it does something good for you. All right, it's not just the prayer itself. Here's your answer. Prayer. Oh, the thing I asked for. I'm so happy. No, the thing that the, the, you got to look past the thing <laughs> and, and, and look at the giver. And, and the, the, when he answers prayer, it's wow, he's faithful. He really is faithful. He really does hear. He really does care. He really does move. And so whenever I see the faithfulness of God, it causes my own faith to kind of go tick up a notch or two, right? Now my own faith is strengthened by this. Whenever I see God answer prayer, what is it? boy, it makes me want to do it again. You know, several years ago, uh, I pastored a little church on the north side of Fort Worth. Uh, it was an old church, and it was a really bad part of town. And uh, I remember we, had, uh, you know, when I taught school, you know, we had students that come out sometimes, they do things at the church, and they called it the little church in the ghetto, like the old Ella song, in the ghetto. Anyways, uh, I don't know why I came up with that, but um, it, it was in a rough part of town, and it was, it was a poor church, and, uh, you know, the, we had a bunch of pews, and there were wooden pews, and they didn't have cushions or anything. They were, oh, they were miserable, at least I hear. <laughs> I was always up here, but... Uh, they were, they were old and they were breaking down. And we were having to take pews out of the room because they were unsafe for anybody to sit on. And I remember one Sunday after church, I'm, you know, in the sanctuary there by myself, and I'm walking around, and we just lost another pew, and, I mean, they're breaking down, and uh, we couldn't afford to repair these things or get them replaced. And, uh, you know, I, I just, uh, I prayed. And I said, Lord, we're, we're, we're losing a pew each week. And I said, um, we need you to do something. And that, that's kind of the prayer. That was it. Um, well, I, you know, again, I was working as a teacher at the time. And, uh, there, you know, with this little Christian school. And there was a church next door to the uh, school. And uh, uh, they, they were a great church. They were good people. And I, I knew all the pastors over there. And uh, 
I'm at school and I get a phone call from one of the pastors over there. His name's Scott Marsh, and uh, he, you know he's a he's a wonderful guy. And uh, he said, uh, uh, "Look, uh, Mel," he said, uh, "We, you know, over here, we," he says, "We've got about 400 chairs in the auditorium that we're changing out, and we want to give them to someone." He says, "Can you think of anybody who could use these chairs?" Yeah, that, that was the sound of me hitting the floor. Uh, <laughs> are you there? Yeah. I'll tell you what, you want to talk about blowing your socks off. Man, I'll, I'll tell you what, it, it, was, it, was, it was an amazing thing. Why bother praying if God already knows you need? Because God knows you need too. And he likes blowing your socks off. He loves it. I mean, I'll tell you, I, I, you know, you can imagine him gathering everybody around in heaven and saying, watch this. <laughs> He just prayed, now watch what happens. And I mean, I imagine they all just, uh, it's, I imagine that's just a, a fantastic thing to be able to see from that perspective. Whenever you pray and he answers, it grows your faith. It makes you want to draw nearer, and it makes you want to draw nearer, and it makes you want to draw nearer, and it makes you want to pray again and again and again. It makes you want to follow him a little more closely, obey him a little more uh, wonderfully, and love him a little more deeply. Sincere, thoughtful prayer brings about a reward that hypocritical, meaningless repetition could never bring. You do, you pray that way, you got your reward in full. We reap the joy of a richer walk with Him whenever things are, are, are what they, way they ought to be. I mean, this awesome privilege of seeing the hand of God work in our lives. You know, you're not going to recognize it without prayer. I mean, if you didn't pray and, and he just provided all these things, you think, you'd think, oh, it just happened by coincidence. I'll tell you what, the, 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 that's, that's rewarding in and of itself, but there's coming a day when there's going to be another reward, an even more fabulous reward, and that's the reward of hearing him say and give you a well done, good and faithful servant. You have no idea how many times you made me smile. I want to invite you to stand with me this morning as we wrap things up and uh, invite these three amigos to come back up here and uh, wrap us up with another song. I tell you, boy, you guys are just fabulous. I, every week I just think, keep thinking, you know what, there's just no way they can get better. But each week it's just, wow. So thankful for y'all. Let's pray. Uh, you know, Hudson and I are going to be back in the back in a minute, and if, uh, if, if you need to talk to either of us or, you know, uh, about anything, something going on, you need prayer, we're happy to pray for you and uh, uh, be there for you any way we can, minister to you in any way we can. And uh, um, if, uh, if you're one who's never trusted Christ as your Savior, as I look around the room, I know a lot of you, most of you, and I know kind of where you're at, and you made a profession of faith, but some of you I don't know very well. And, but if you don't know what it means to trust Christ as your Savior, look, this is what we're back here for. You know, this is, this is, well, we'd love to talk to you about that more than anything, because this is the thing upon which all of eternity hinges, what you do with Jesus. This is the decision that you make that changes your destiny. And so uh, uh, come talk to us about that, and we'd be happy to talk to you about it and answer whatever questions you have. Lord, we're thankful to you for your goodness. We don't deserve it, but you give it to us anyway. And, Lord, so much of what you do for us just goes unnoticed. It just goes right past us without us ever really realizing it. And that's an unfortunate thing. Life can be a distracting thing. 
take us in so many different directions. And really, I guess, God, what it comes down to is we tend to give our attention to whatever the loudest thing is in life right now. And uh, we lose track of that still, quiet voice, that whisper. Lord, we pray that you'd help us to be a little more mindful of that reality. And we might set aside all these other things, at least at some point. We might render unto you the devotion that we ought to. It's good for us to do this, and you're certainly deserving of it. It's not an easy thing to do with this sin nature. Just always there, always creating problems, always inviting me to go back to old ways and things I know that I shouldn't do. Sometimes it's just there and I just leap into it without realizing what I'm doing. Lord, your grace is even bigger than all of that. It covers all of that. It makes up for all of that. It enables something wonderful between you and me, you and us, today, here and now. Oh, Lord, may we fall in love with you more deeply today than we've ever been before. May we fall even more deeply in love with you tomorrow. Love covers a multitude of sin. Your love particularly, we give you thanks for it. In Jesus' name.